I spent that whole month taking photos of every single product in my parents' garage. I built this online store where my business partner came back from a holiday. She said that she didn't want to do it anymore and she had been secretly job hunting. She had a job that she was going back to and she refused to look at the website because she said no one shops online. And this is a month before I started Shopo. Hey, welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains, where we chat to ambitious women about what it takes to become an overnight success. Huge spoiler alert, the overnight success does not exist. We're your hosts, Caitlin, Anna, and Maeva. Now get comfy, fellow Lady Brains, and ride with us to Ladyland. Jane Luke calls herself the lazy CEO, but after listening to this episode, you'll come to realise that she's anything but. Jane is the founder of Shopo, a fashion e-commerce empire that she bootstrapped from her parents' garage to over 2 million social media followers and $30 million in revenue. In this episode, Jane gives us the inside scoop on how she did all of that and more in just seven years. My real job, first real job was at McDonald's. You know, they always say McDonald's is great training and actually it probably was. In my last final year of high school, like whilst I was doing my HSC, um, I went for a job at KPMG, which is something my mum always wanted me to do. The thing is, my mum, when I first came to Australia, there's this thing called an opportunity class, which I think every immigrant, especially the Chinese, they want their kids to get into, which I didn't because I only been in Australia for two years. My English wasn't good enough. And then it was getting into selective school. My parents really wanted me to get into Sydney Girls because my mum so, used to catch the train with Sydney Girls girls and saw them in, you know, in their uniform, put them on the pedestal. Anyway, so I went to Sydney Girls and she, as soon as I did that, she's like, okay, then you got to get this job at KPMG because she had a friend that, you know, the thing about Chinese families is they're all, you're always being compared with right, other people's yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. Like this other person's daughter went to KPMG, you have to do it, you know, and have a fear of failure. So I actually secretly went for this job interview. Luckily, I got through it. So I never told my parents, oh, I'm in the interview stage. I'm like mm-hmm. signing up. I'm, you know, sending my resume in. When I got the job, I was like, oh, my God, thank God, you mm-hmm. know. And I got the degree they wanted me to get, um, which is a Bachelor of Commerce at UNSW. And then so I worked as an auditor at KPMG for two years, full-time while studying part-time, And I didn't even realize what accounting was when I got the job. So all of a sudden I was an accountant and I was like, (laughs) how did this happen? (laughs) Yeah. And like, I was excited at the time to, you know, make money, like wear a suit. I was excited to wear Mm. a suit because back when you were young to have all these like work friends and then, you know, work as co-ed and I went to a single girl school. That was exciting. (laughs) But um, I just like never knew any better. And I thought I had everything because I was doing everything that my parents ever wanted from me. I played eighth grade piano, which is something else like every Asian parent wants. So, and you know, there's always something like even now, even now that the business is doing well, they're like, when are you having kids? So Uh, it's like, like, it's never ending. Never ends. And at what point did you realize this isn't for me? So the thing is, I was actually having a lot of fun back when I was like, when I was at KPMG, I didn't really love the job, but I didn't really think anyone loved their jobs back then. <laughs> right. I didn't really know anyone that loved their jobs. Not any different, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so it was a lot of fun. Like, I liked the work environment. And then there was a lot of talk about moving to investment banking and getting to corporate finance. And it was seen as the sexier transition from audit. So then I moved into corporate finance with 
another big four accounting firm, Ernst and Young. And when I did it, I like just didn't understand what was going on. Like I had no interest in it. It was boring. It was also like a very male dominated industry, which like I have a lot of male friends. I'm like not at all uncomfortable. Like not uncomfortable around men. Yeah. yeah. And then you wouldn't think, and the thing is, I know show, you, you look around and show is like full of girls, <laughs> but I thought I would still be able to thrive in that kind of environment, but it just didn't work for me. I was not, I did not feel comfortable. I wasn't myself. I felt like I was walking on eggshells the whole time because I just didn't, I was like terrible at my job. And I think that does not help. So then I went on exchange to Sweden and then I traveled for around nine months and I came back and I just couldn't adjust back to cubicle life. And I think traveling, the thing is it kind of like, and seeing just how things are different overseas and, you know, exposing yourself to other cultures, I guess. I think it really challenge, makes you challenge the status quo. It makes mm, you think, totally. you know, this the way that things are done is not the way things need to be done. Like people do things differently, like in other cultures, like it's mm. just, this is just the way it is here. So you, it really makes you question everything and um, it really opens your eyes up. So when I came back to... Um, Ernst & Young, I just like could not deal with it. It was so boring. And then also having that time off, I knew even less about what I was doing. I was so lost. And so at that time also my, one of my friends that I went to uni with wanted to start another business, kind of like a side business. Well, she got made redundant during the GFC. So she, it was kind of a full-time business for her. But um, I jumped at the chance because I thought, great, like this is something fun I can do. Um, that could distract me from my boring job. I would be working a nine to five job, which became like a nine to seven, nine to eight job. And then at night I would work on the business, on weekends working the business. So I was working like super long hours and taking a lot of business calls in meeting rooms whilst I was at EY, which, so my work started to suffer more and more. And I think people were starting to cotton onto this. And then it was like, you know, in the middle of the global financial crisis, then people started getting getting made redundant. And I was like, any minute now. <laughs> were you hoping for it? Were you waiting for it? Like, Well, I was because I was like, oh, I'm going to get a redundancy payout. And then yeah. I was like, maybe I wasn't that long enough. I don't know. But um, my business partner asked me to quit so I can focus on the business more. And then I kind of jumped at the chance. And it wasn't at all because I believed in the business, the side business, which was running pop-up stores in underutilized locations. So for example, in the art house in the city, which is near Pittstreet Mall, it's very heavy traffic. It's like on top near Galleries Victoria, mm. um, which is the shopping area and Pittstreet Mall. And it's a very popular bar, it was popular back then, at, on Saturdays at night. But during the day, it's quite empty. So it was not being used. So we thought, hey, why don't we bring you some traffic. You can give us very low rent. It seemed like a good business idea. Mm. And we were stocking emerging labels, which meant that we could get stock on consignment because they had low bargaining power, you know, being a startup kind of emerging label. And so we were, we didn't have to pay for anything until after it sold. So that worked for us because we didn't really have that much capital. So I didn't really believe in the business because it's not scalable. It's just not profitable. Mm, yeah. <laughs> But when she asked me to quit my job, I was like, yes. So I kind of like, I quit my job and I did it in such a, like a salon suckers. You know, <laughs> so that I, that's the dream. Everyone yeah. Dream to be like, oh. And everyone was just like, you're an idiot. Like, what do you know about fashion? And I knew nothing about fashion. 
But yeah, and then so I quit my job. And so what was your wow. headspace like in that moment? Like, did you quit out of kind of desperation that you just wanted to leave and like, or were you excited about it? What was going through your head? Yeah, I think I was just excited to leave and I felt to have that burden taken off because, yeah. you know, I would constantly be making mistakes at work because I didn't really know what I was doing. And they, I remember people kept asking me to sense check my work, but I couldn't sense check it because I didn't know what was going on. So I'm like, any minute now, they're going to know that I'm like full of shit and I have no idea what's happening. And I spent like most of my time there just on Facebook, which I know that I, the IT department could detect how long you're on Facebook. So I'm like, I'm 90% on Facebook. Why haven't you fired me yet? I don't know. So I was just like, any minute now, I'm just going to get busted. Um, I just felt like such like a phony. And so I felt this big sense of relief and I was really excited Mm -hmm. to start working on the business. And I thought, you know, I had this naive belief that if you work really hard at anything, you can make it work, which I've learned now, like hard work is fundamental. You do need to work. You couldn't be successful without hard work, but if the business model doesn't work, it's just not going to work. Six months after Jane left EY, she still hadn't told her parents that she'd quit her job. She would leave her house each morning dressed in a suit and would travel on the bus with her mum to the city. We don't know how she did it, so we asked why she felt the need to lie to her parents for so long. Because I had been working all my life towards this corporate job, I couldn't possibly tell my parents. And I'm an only child as well, and they kind of like did this whole immigration thing. They immigrated for me. You know, when they came here, they left their family, friends. I couldn't tell them that I had it all in in their eyes and I just gave it up to run a market stall, essentially. I couldn't bear to tell them I didn't even know how to, so I just didn't. So I just thought I would just put up this facade of still going to work. So that meant, you know, getting up every morning, which sucks when you're unemployed and have to get up early for no reason. I'd put on my suit and then that's when I just remember hating my suit so much because it felt like a stupid clown costume. And I had breakfast with my parents and, you know, talking. They're like, oh, excited for work? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, and then my mom worked in the city, so I have to get in the, get the bus with her, which really sucks because I can't even, like, just detour to the cafe and come back home. And then I would carry around an empty laptop bag because I used to carry my full laptop bag. I'm like, that's heavy. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it's just trying to like, kind of like figure shit out for the first month. For the first month, I would actually come back home and start working on this business, which is the pop-up store. So at the time when I quit, so my business partner convinced me into quitting. She um, actually already had a holiday book. So she went on holidays and I was like, you know what? The only way this business is going to work is if we put it online. Because the thing is, we have a place in the city and one in Bondi Beach, you're getting a lot of travelers. But then when they go home, you know, I thought that way they could still keep shopping with us. So anyway, I spent that whole month taking photos of every single product in my parents' garage. I built this online store, which I stupidly realized afterwards I built it on Wix, which at the time was a flash website, which is not mobile compatible. Anyway, it, that didn't actually matter because when my business partner came back from a holiday, she said that she didn't want to do it anymore because she um, experienced a bit of luxury while she was on her holiday and just didn't want to go back to the startup life. Right. And she had been secretly job hunting. She had a job that she was going back to. 
And she refused to look at the website because she said no one shops online. And this is back in 2010. And this is a month before I started Shopo. (laughs) So I was, as you can imagine, I was just absolutely devastated. So I quit my job. So I was unemployed and my first attempt at a business failed. From someone who at the age of 18 had her life sorted, now I, you know, a few years later had nothing. And I was just like at absolute rock bottom and also had lost about $10,000 in that business as well. So I had no money at all to even start another business. So that's the first month. Second month, I was just lost. That was when I was at my worst. That's when I was just wearing my suit, walking around the city. I went to the state library, which is where I used to study. And I just didn't know what to do. I was trying to figure things out. I kind of wanted to be out of my home because I didn't want to just sit there and watch TV. I think that was like a bit depressing. Mm-hmm. I was like trying to meet up with people, trying to get business ideas. At the time, I only had one friend that had a successful business. And so I approached him kind of like thinking maybe he could even offer me a job. I think that's where I was going with it. He said that he knew someone else who he knew a girl who also wanted to start an online store. And I was like, oh, you know what? I think I'm done with this online store thing. Like, it doesn't work for me. And I was, it was funny because at the time, ASOS was growing. And I was like, the online space is very cluttered. Saturated. I, saturated. I'm not going to be able to get in. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, how wrong I was. Because yeah. you can look at it now. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so he introduced me to this girl. And, you know, my previous experience has always been if, when you get introduced to people, it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, we met up and we just like got along like a house on fire. We hit it off so well. And after meeting up a few times, one night we just, we had dinner. We got really drunk, came up with the idea. Like, like let's just start an online store. Came up with the name Show Pony. And then we were like, let's just do this. She had a bunch of experience in the fashion industry. So she would have all the experience and she would have the vision and direction. And I would be the doer and... And that, I was fine with that because I had all the time in the world. And even that night, I remember I came home like sloppy drunk and I was like, you know what? I'm going to build this website now so that she's going to be, it's going to be way too awkward for her to say no. So like, I just like Googled how to use HTML and build this website on Big Cartel. That weekend we did a photo shoot. So she had contact with the supplier that allowed us to buy stock and consignment. And again, that's only new. I only learned about that term consignment from the first business. So we got stock and consignment, which meant that there was no capital outlay for stock or the website because Big Cartel is like 20 bucks a month. And then um, we found a model through the first business and she modeled for Contra. And then, you know, we found photographers who also did it for Contra, which is great. So at this point, we spend no money yet. Wow. And then even when we first sold our first product was a week later and it was to a friend of the model. And that's just from, you know, sharing it on Facebook and then the model shared it on Facebook and that's just where it kind of all grew. I think having a retail, online retail business is probably the best kind of business to have when you have no capital because you get the money in your bank straight away. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. So... You posted on Facebook, your model's posting on Facebook, and then you've sold your first product. What happens next? You've sold a product and you're like, okay, now what? Like, I need to get this out to more people. How did you go about doing that? It's crazy because at the time, you know, the big businesses didn't really believe in social media. I think they either, I think they thought it was a fad 
you know, now everyone talks about, oh my God, how do we market to millennials? At the time, it was like, ugh, millennials, they have no money. Um, (laughs) And so they either thought that it was the fad or they wanted to do it and they didn't get it. But generally, you'll see companies delegating it probably to like a junior as opposed to treating it like it's the next big thing. And so because I already knew the ins and outs of it, Facebook so well, being a Facebook addict, because that's pretty much what I did as my primary occupation whilst I was working as a business analyst. So I kind of used that to market the business by creating, just doing like, you know, back then there was also a lot of organic reach as well. So that helped. Mm. Um, So just using Facebook to kind of market the business. And I think the first few months of a business is always it's actually quite easy because you can reach out to, you can hassle all your friends and your network and you have all these like ideas about how you're going to market the business when you first think about starting a business. And that's probably what, you know, what everyone kind of has as an idea. We're going to do this, that, that. What's hard is you'll see that some of these ideas don't actually convert to sales and they don't have the level of success that you think it's going to have. And and then your friends get sick of your shit. They're like, stop spamming me, please. Mm. And so you're like, how do I reach beyond that network? And that's where I think people hit their first set of real roadblocks. And that's where businesses plateau. One thing that did work really well was we did this um, Face of Shopo competition. And this is back when Facebook Fangate was on, which meant that you have to like a page in order to engage with it. They shut that off a few years ago. But I remember um, watching America's Next Top Model on a couch one night drinking wine in my Chucky Dax. And it just hit me like a light bulb that, because I think they had this thing where they were going to have a Facebook audience favorite category. And I was like, well, we could do this for Shopo because we, well, we did need models and we also needed followers. And, you know, our models are exactly our demographic because like, our first sale was made through the friend of a model. So we said, we put this competition out there and the prize was just to model for Shopo. Of course, we're going to get them free clothes, but that wasn't even advertised. It was just like, please come model for us. So these girls initially entered and then they asked their friends to vote for them. And then their friends in turn then entered themselves. And then it just had this ripple effect. Some girls created events and groups and like, People took it pretty seriously. And after that, quite a few other people, quite a lot of businesses did this. And I'm not saying I'm the first, but I think I, within like my network and what I saw, I was. And that gave us the first mover advantage. So we went from 3,000 to 20,000 followers in the space of a month. And we didn't pay for any of it at all. And 20,000 back then was so much because no one really had that size of a following. And for me, this whole business was at the time in my parents' garage, like it gave us so much legitimacy. And I think Mm. that especially back then was so important for an online business because people still have like, even today people have some trust issues. So back then it really helped people like believe in the business. Would you say that that was a big catalyst for the business or that the growth was quite like steady and organic from that? That was a huge jump um, for the business. I think we were doing like a a few grand a month. And then from that point, it went to, got up to $22,000. After that, I think we started to hit that plateau stage that I was talking about where like, um, you know, tried a few other things and they just didn't really work. You can't just keep doing like modeling competitions. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then also it got to a point where, you know, 
because I always say the thing about business partnerships is also it's all fine and dandy at the start, but when you start making money, sometimes that's when the problems roll in because mm-hmm. that's when you really think, okay, I'm doing all the work and where I'm getting 50% of the money. And um, even though you're not doing it for the money, it is really like a sign of your worth as well. And so I kind of started getting annoyed that like my business partner wasn't really doing that as much. I mean, and the thing is like, we're still really good friends to this day. And, but I think it's, it's somewhat human nature to think like that. Like, you know, I'm doing all the work. And so that actually made me start to pull back a little bit from the business because I had this opportunity where I had the Shopo pop-up store, which I was running solely by myself. And that started making so much money. So I started to focus more energy on that rather than the online store. So through that, our, the online store just started like tanking. We at one point got down to like two orders a day, $5,000 a month, which is, and that was in December, which is meant to be your busy like Christmas yeah. party season retail trade. And it was at that point, my business partner, because her, her own business was going so well, she like decided to bail out of the business and we amicably went separate ways. It was like a crazy moment because I was like, you know, I was really excited because I finally had this, I had this business myself, but then I thought, you know what, my first business failed and, you know, my business partner then blamed it on me for it failing. And then this business was a sinking ship. Like if you look at the trajectory, it's failing big time. So if this can, this, if this did fail, like what have I taken on? Because now I've got two failed businesses and like I was under tremendous pressure, but I was really excited so I think, you know, over the next few days, I just, next few weeks, just put everything into it. And so from that moment on the business, actually, that's when it just really started growing. Um, it, we went from that $5,000 to nine the next month to 40 to 75 to 140,000 within the space of four or five months. And at that point, was it still just you? Or yeah. Did, it was just you. So at the $75,000 a month mark, I was getting my mom to chuck stickies to help me because we were still doing handwritten notes. I was packing all my own orders, doing photo shoots, buying. So in the morning I'll go and buy stock and then like do customer service emails, do social media posts and then pack all the orders. So I had to get my mom to chuck a sticky. I remember this one moment that my mom, you know, she's writing these orders and then towards the end of the day I looked at one of them and I realized she was writing in broken English. And I was like, oh crap, we had to rip everything apart, rewrite all of them. I'm like, you can't, this is terrible. So that was, anyway, so back when the business wasn't going well, um, I planned this trip to go to Miami to go to the ultra music festival with some friends. Cause I figured two orders a day, like I don't need to be here. I can take two weeks off. And then we were doing, I was so busy. We were doing so much. So I thought I'll just cancel on the trip. And my friends were like, no, you're not canceling. You have to come. And then like, you know, like the rubber arms. I'm like, okay, I'll go. And and actually hired someone to work in the business. And up until this point, I didn't want to hire someone because I thought I could do everything better. Like, why hire someone when you can do everything better yourself? And my McDonald's job, I was on $5.70 an hour. And the minimum wage at this point was $23.50. It was like, I'm not going to pay someone that much, but I can do it myself. And then, you know, I was still used to being so poor. Like that seemed like so much money. Mm. So I never hired until this stage. And also, you know, I think people really don't want to hire because they're like, oh, 
the time it takes to train, the times it takes to make fix someone else's mistake as well. So going to Miami actually forced me to train someone up and not to say that she didn't make mistakes and she didn't do things wrong, but I realized like, they just need to do it at 70, 80% of capacity so you can move on. And that's when I actually started working more on the business than in the business. Like it was yeah. a, like a, it became this forced decision and it was like a huge pivot moment in the show for growth. So how many staff do you have today? We've got 45 here. It feels like more because there's about like five interns floating around as well. And then we've got 15 in the Philippines. So how did you go from your first hire a few years ago to today? I think my most important best hire was that girl you saw me coming here from the gym with. So she is our general manager and 2IC. I met her at a party. I didn't really like her that much at first. Um, But then one day she came, she was like, oh, like, let's have lunch. Uh, And then she's like, Jane, you know a lot of that. So I'm like looking for my next the stage of my life for what I'm going to do and I thought um you know I wanted to be an operations manager in a startup and I just thought you know you know a lot of people do you know anyone and then I'm like oh my god I'm looking for an operations manager so we still argue of whether she was fishing for a job she says she wasn't I'm like, no, you definitely were so we hired her we didn't get along for the first six months like we there was a point where she basically wrote me a two-page list about all the things she thought was wrong with me. And I was like, she told me to come to my come to her house. But when she did, I was, it was so heartfelt. And then so much of it I thought, like, it means because I saw truth in it as well. It was actually a really huge um, turning point in our relationship. And the thing is, I'm someone that's very like, I want like instant gratification. I want to get things done and get them done now. Whereas she's like a slow burn kind of person. Like she, she's always like, well, let's take a step back and think about it. And so she's always been like thinking more uh, about growth in like a systematic approach. And Mm. so we work really well together. Mm. And so I really think a lot of that has been driven by her. Like I remember back when we, we would have three or four staff and she's like, okay, we're going to have a team bonding meeting. I'm like, are you joking? We see each other every day. And she's like, and then I'm going to put together a manual. I'm like, a manual? There's just four of us. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, and so like, but it was, you know, it took time for me to realize how important that was. So I think like she really has like kind of spearheaded that growth. What's kind of next for you and for Shopo? Like, where do you want to take it? Where do you want to go? I feel like the sky's the limit. I don't really know. And I never had plans of where I wanted to take it in the first place. And I think that's actually been really beneficial because like I said before, I have this like fear of failure, um, which, you know, I've really started to overcome. But had I, I mean, you're looking at this office now and like, it's beautiful, right? It's an amazing office. it's, It's pretty cool. But had I had this vision of an office like this with this many staff, you know, a lot of people say, you have to like say what your goals are. You have a vision board, you say it, and then you make it come true. I'm like almost the opposite because I'm like, I think like had I envisioned this, then all of those tough times, every time I had a setback, when I'm in my parents' garage or when we're in our shitty little office, I would have thought about this and just thought, oh my God, it's so far away. Mm. Or, oh my God, I'm going backwards. I'm not going to get there. It might have actually 
been a, like a deterrent and actually made me want to give up. So it's just kind of like this constant, like, let's just keep growing and being better. And I feel like that is just what works for me. And I think different, you know, it's different for everyone. And I can say that I'm definitely not a serial entrepreneur. Like, so this is Chopo is the business for me. I'm not going to go and start like sell this, start another business. Like, you know, I think a lot of people get bored. Like a lot of entrepreneurs get bored because, and because they, they're, they're creative, they're innovative. They want to go and start the next big thing. But for me, I don't want to redo this whole startup thing. Like, there's so many more exciting things that I can use, I can do through Showpro. And Showpro is like a platform mm. for bigger and more exciting things. So, you know, there's a lot of our growth is going to come from international expansion. And so, you know, with my family, well, not newfound love of travel, but since, you know, <laughs> giving me Your these love of travel. traveling opportunities, which is fantastic. And also one thing that, you know, that we're really passionate about is a lot of fast fashion companies that started the way we have, generally run from a size extra small to a large like a six to a 12 but we've extended our sizes and it's people and you know people say you should have done this ages ago it's fucking hard it's not that easy just to do that we've gone from size those sizes to four to 20 because i you know i feel like there's such a big market gap showpro's given us this like opportunity to work on a real life problem that we can solve and there's so many more that we can do Mm. you know and so it's almost like a starting a business within the business as well. Yeah. So it's so exciting. Um, and there's so many things. And I think we're not, I don't, don't want to plan too far in advance. It's just like one take, visit, it as it take it as it comes. And I think it's just so important to be always enjoying it along the way because at the end of the day, I'm, I didn't do all this so I can have a job that I don't like. So otherwise I, I'll be back to where I was, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what would you say? has been your biggest mistake along the way and how did you overcome that? One of the mistakes I definitely made was I watched the competitors too closely. Mm. This is like a few years ago when I I was like, because I was watching competitors so closely, it kind of like I lost the vision. Also because I didn't have a strong vision of what I wanted to do. I started just like changing my mind, flailing between different things and then we lost kind of our way And also it's just really uninspiring for our staff because one minute I'll tell them to do this one thing like this company on one minute we'll do something else. And it's just so uninspiring when someone like a a leader is not actually leading, but just actually following themselves. And so I think we kind of like lost our way a bit. And that was actually the only year where we didn't grow at all. So now like I've just unsubscribed from everything I'm like, you know, it's important that people do do research mm. and I, I'm sure like people with, within team do. And it's kind of lucky now that I don't have to be involved in that level, that, at that level because I've got such a big team. But I think like, and it's, it's important to stay in tune with what the market is doing. But I think watching, watching competitors is not. Don't um, follow too closely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Who's your biggest inspiration? Something that's really resonated with, with me is the Delivering Happiness book, the Zappos book about Tony Share. I can't pronounce the name, but like, but basically he, you know, he, he grew his business not through marketing, but through customer happiness and customer retention. And that's something like, that's definitely an area of the business that we need to work on. And then, so I find that like very inspirational. Mm. 
What's been one of your biggest pinch me moments? I actually still have so many of those moments, but the first one that I can just like very clearly remember was I was looking at our warehouse and we just had so much inventory there. I think it was like half a million dollars of inventory that I realized, and this ties in with my fear of failure. But I was like, worst case scenario, if everything failed, then I could fire sale all this inventory and I would still have enough money to keep me going for a few years and to start another business, which means I don't have to go back to my accounting job, which means I don't have to do my chartered accounting degree, which is like a two, three year, like post-grad certification you need, which is like, like the biggest thing I was ever dreading. And I was like, Oh my God, I never have to study again, which is why like some people get MBAs. I'm like, fuck that. I'm never doing that. (laughs) Never have to study again. This is fantastic. That's amazing. And just quickly, I just want you to comment. Um, You were on the front cover of a business magazine. An accounting magazine. An accounting magazine. How ironic is that? And the irony is that if I stayed in accounting, that would have never happened. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a great moment? It was amazing. So I actually had my own vlog. And so I vlogged my taking my parents down to the newsstand. And to show them, and I've got my mom saying in her broken English, she's like, oh, yes, I was wrong. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram, lady.brains, and head over to ladybrains.com.au to find out more about our events and other cool things that are happening.